0: Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
1: Praise God from whom all
2: You from my heart.
0: How are you, church? You good? Good, Good, yeah. Oh, wow. Some of you are. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but it's good to be with you. There's a lot to celebrate this morning. Um, All the local teams won this weekend, um, so that's awesome. Even Georgia State Panthers won, so that's good. And, uh, yeah, and Pedro eventually got the pronunciation of that series coming up in two weeks uh, correctly. Ruach. Everybody say that together. Ruach, it's a Hebrew word. We're going to talk about what that means. And uh, if you're Southern, like uh, Pedro, you could pronounce it Ruach, which is what he did. Um, But uh, yeah, he got that pronunciation better at 11 o'clock than he did at 9.15, so that's awesome. Um, And we want to celebrate that we're in the fourth week of a five-week series called Hero Maker, where, as Pedro said, we're discovering that behind every hero, there is a hero maker. And in our culture, we absolutely love heroes. We want to be the hero of our own life and of our own story. But as we we're discovering throughout this series that when God um, designed us and when what God desires from us is that we would be um, hero makers of other people, pointing them to the ultimate hero, which is God. And so we've been talking about how that's carried out, what that looks like. And so if you haven't been with us, we wanna invite you to go back to our online series um, and our online service for you to check out those messages. We've been talking about characteristics each week. What we're gonna to discover today is that hero makers are gift activators. Hero makers activate gifts in others. And one of the things I know about our culture is that we absolutely love to celebrate the gifts and the skills and the victories and the accomplishments of other people. Uh, a lot of times we'll do that through um, trophies or, um, or um, recognition celebrations and ceremonies. Um, we see that in sports um, for teams that win a world championship or a national championship, they typically get trophies. We're not used to a lot of hardware in Atlanta. If you're a native of Atlanta, we um, don't have a whole lot of that. I mean, back in baseball in the mid '90s, we got like one of those. That was awesome. Maybe this year, probably not. Maybe <laughs> next year, you know. But um, we we were close, you know, and we've been close a lot of times. If you're if you're a football fan for Georgia Tech, it was two decades ago for. Georgia fans, it was three decades ago or more. And um, and so it's been a long time. We're not used to that hardware. Um, individual accomplishments get recognized with trophies, typically called MVP trophies. And um, and we we were um, blessed two years ago as a sports town with our, our quarterback for our Falcons getting the MVP um, just in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And we were close to having him be the MVP of the Super Bowl. I mean, we were only 25 points ahead going in Is it still too early? Still too early. Okay, yeah. So, you know, and so we didn't get that. Um, And had he gotten the MVP of that game and won the Super Bowl, um, he would have been uh, rewarded and honored with this proclamation. Now that you've won the Super Bowl, where are you going to go? And he would say, I'm going to. Disney World, not Six Flags. Maybe he would have gone to Six Flags as an Atlanta guy, but uh, Disney World, yeah. Because we love to celebrate our heroes in sports. We do that in kind of like celebrity entertainment world in Hollywood. We recognize our actors and our actresses through this little trophy. It's a gold statue called an Oscar, you know. And in music, we call those Grammys. Um, We recognize our war heroes. In fact, what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring to you a shadow box from Liz's grandfather. We called him Granddaddy Mac, and Granddaddy Mac fought in World War II, and he was honored because of him leading uh, a group of men um, over into France, and uh, he's got a number of wards and, and ribbons and, um, and accolades that have come from that, but it's buried somewhere in our house, and we got to get that out, and uh, we couldn't find that. Um, I would have loved to have shown you that, because what we love to do as a culture is we love to, to recognize the gifts, the skill sets, and the, the victories of other people, those that we would consider to be our heroes, sports heroes, our celebrity um, kind of entertainment heroes, uh, our war heroes. And what we're going to discover today is that when it comes to being hero makers, hero makers um, recognize that it's important to celebrate the gifts of other people But they do it ahead of time to activate in them the calling that God has on their life individually um, and corporately in this world. And so what we're going to discover today is that hero makers activate gifts in others in two ways. And the first way is that, that hero makers activate gifts in heroes by celebrating the gifts of heroes. They do that on the front end, not necessarily on the back end. And you see this and what we've been seeing throughout our series is that Jesus, he's our ultimate hero. He's our ultimate hero maker. Um, and um, But before he became a hero um, in living a perfect life, dying on the cross and then coming back from the dead, and before he became a hero maker by sending out a radical group of followers that just wanted to love the world and transform the world, um, is that he had a hero maker. And his hero maker's name was John. Um, some people refer to him as John the Baptist. Now, for any of you that have a background of like being Southern Baptist, John the Baptist was not Southern Baptist. He was a Baptist because he was a baptizer and um, he had a radical message. It's the same message that Jesus had, and that was that the kingdom of God was near and that the kingdom of God was available to anyone who would repent, turn in their thinking, and be transformed. And, um, and he goes out in the desert, and he's dressed in a, a pretty radical way. He has a radical diet of locusts and honey. I mean, that's pretty radical. And, um, and he has this radical message that the kingdom of God is available. And anyone who wanted to repent and come into the kingdom could do so, but they would do so through this act of baptism. And so he'd take people to the Jordan River, and there's debate about where it is, depending on what country you're in. Um, and, uh, and in the Jordan River, they would baptize. In some places, it was deep, so they probably went all the way under. In some places, they knelt, and they They would kind of like scoop and pour. It doesn't matter. That was a symbol that was used. Um, And so this guy, John the Baptist, who's actually Jesus' cousin, is out there preaching that the kingdom of God is available. It's near to all who would repent. And come in, and that was such a radical message that a lot of people kind of gathered around. And it was one message that people had been looking for for hundreds and thousands of years. And so, a lot of people asked John the Baptist, They said, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the world's savior? And then John had an interesting response. It's actually found in a number of the gospel messages in the Bible. But we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 3, verse 16, where John answered all those people that were asking, Hey, are you the Savior of the world? He answered them by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John the Baptist, he's out there, he's got like a group, just tons of people that are out there listening to him, getting baptized, everything's rolling, they ask him if he's the Savior, and then he declares that he is not the Savior. And in doing so, what he does is not just let everybody that's there know that he's not the Savior, but also lets Jesus know, who according to the gospel accounts of the baptisms, was there present in the crowd, that it was time for him to activate um, his gifts, and to let the world know that he is the Messiah, and he does that by celebrating Jesus's anointing or his his giftedness. Um, he does that in a couple of ways. The first way was by saying that um, the Messiah, uh, the one who's going to come and save the world, is mightier than he is. And then the second thing he recognizes is that that he has a different ability, a different giftedness. His own giftedness, he could call people to repentance. He could baptize them with water. But there's going to be one, the Messiah, the Savior, and Jesus is in the crowd who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Meaning that when, um, when John baptizes, it's going to be something that's outside. And, and when um, Jesus baptizes, it's going to be something that happens on the inside. The, the water, it's exterior. The Holy Spirit, It's interior. And the water, the water can be a symbol of all kinds of things, but the Holy Spirit is kind of symbolized in fire, always has been. It's going to light a passion within a person, and it's going to kind of consume them. And so when he's out there declaring that he's not the Savior, he activates in Jesus those gifted, the giftedness of Jesus that comes from being fully God, fully man. And, and he activates it by publicly saying he's mightier than I am, And he's gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you see that after that moment, we'll get to this in just a second, after that moment, Jesus begins his ministry where Jesus starts to embody and and invite people into this thing called the kingdom of God. And then he sets up throne after his death and his resurrection where he is the king. And so we enter into this kingdom, a personal relationship with Jesus as king of our life. And so you see that John the Baptist was a hero maker in this moment, because he actually points to the hero of the story, which is Jesus. You see that Jesus... Does that with his disciples. Um, he gathers a group of people, and we've talked about how he's gathered over the course of this series. Um, and, and you imagine that, that part of the reason that he gathers them is because he sees their potential. And we don't have this defined for us in scripture. I just wondered that over the course of those three years that Jesus spent with his disciples, if he didn't pull the, the guys that were fishermen aside and he said, Hey, um, I see your work ethic, I see how hard you guys work as fishermen. And, and, and if you'll work for the kingdom, there'll be great fruit for the kingdom. Like I imagine that he gathered Nathaniel and Philip. And he said, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. I know you guys, you guys are intellectual. You guys are smart. We could use that for the kingdom. And I imagine that he gathered um, Levi, who was a tax collector, collector, and he and he made great notes and records, and just said, "Hey, you are a great record keeper. You pay attention to details, and it would be awesome if you wrote down the story of my life, so that generations to come would be able to know all the stuff that we did, all the stuff that we said, and what happens to me later on." Uh, I I imagine he he gathered some of the women named Marys and just said, "Hey, um, you're extremely generous." Let's use your generosity for the kingdom of God. And so forth and so on uh, through those disciples where he activates within them their giftedness. There's some reason that Jesus selected these. Outside of just praying and poof, God gave him the answer. There's some reason, some purpose that God wanted Jesus to have these guys as followers. And it could be very well that it was their giftedness that they had inside of them, that they all could use together for the purpose of advancing God's reign and God's rule through a personal relationship with him. And then you see like, the first disciples do that. So you got, you got John the Baptist do it for Jesus. Then you got Jesus, he does it for his disciples. And then you got the first disciples do that. One of those first disciples is a guy named Paul. If you're uh, familiar with the vine, we say it all the time. Paul used to be a, a persecutor of the church. And then he became a planter of churches after he encountered the resurrected Jesus in a pretty radical way. In fact, this morning in my own personal like reading of the Bible, I was reading about the story, how this guy, Paul met this guy named Jesus who was dead, but came to life. And he spoke to him and it changed life forever. And uh, Paul writes um, throughout the New Testament a couple of really interesting things about the giftedness in others. Um, He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've got that scripture. We're going to put it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and implications, sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so he writes a couple of chapters uh, about These things called spiritual gifts that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we have inside of us waiting to be used, waiting to be activated for the glory of God in this world, whatever that looks like and wherever we go. Um, In fact, um, just so that you're not uninformed about spiritual gifts, in a few weeks uh, from now in our Ruach series, uh, we're going to be talking about those spiritual gifts. It's going to be an awesome Sunday. You won't want to miss that. So you see the earliest followers do that. And then he even mentions to a guy that he's pouring his life into about the spiritual gifts that came about through the laying on of hands. And we'll talk about that passage in just a second. What you see is that there is an activation of gifts when a person celebrates those. It's awesome to celebrate it on the back end with trophies and with recognition, and with, with um, gold figures and all kinds of accolades, but it's activated on the front end when we name it and we celebrate it there. Um, But to do that, it requires humility on our part. It requires humility on our part. And one of the reasons I think that we're poor at celebrating the gifts of other people is that we're not secure in the gifts that we have ourselves. A lot of times we kind of get caught up in this competition that if we celebrate somebody else's giftness, then we're belittling our own. Or if we celebrate somebody else's win and potential win, then that means that it's a loss for us. But when it comes to God's kingdom, there, there, there are no, um, there's no winner and loser when it comes to celebrating in someone else. We're all winners in that when it comes to um, all this giftedness and all of these strengths and skills that can be used for the glory of God, there is no scarcity. That, that, that means that what you see that's great in someone else is accessible to you as well. It requires a great humility to be able to celebrate other people in the way that John the Baptist, who has this powerful, powerful ministry, says, man, like this guy's mightier he, I baptized with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. For Jesus to, to live perfectly, we know no other human being has ever done that. But for him to say in John chapter 20, 20 which we have quoted every week in this series, hey, you're going to go do greater things than I'm going to do. Wow, what a bold statement for Jesus. And to see that passed down generationally, it requires a great deal of humility And you see that humility in John the Baptist's statement about Jesus. Hey, he's mightier than I am. Listen to this. I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. What the great definition of humility. And that might not make sense to you because that's kind of like completely foreign to us. But 2,000 years ago, there were a certain group of people who were kind of assigned to other people's feet. Like, and I really appreciate this because like feet, mm-mm, like, I ain't touching nobody's feet, right? You know? And maybe you're the same way, you can take your toe fungus elsewhere, I ain't touching it, right? <laughs> so like 2,000 years ago, the same kind of like, thought about people's feet existed, and that's why the lowest form of servants, basically the lowest form of slaves, were assigned to people's feet, and they were assigned to them to untie their sandals and to wash those people's feet, And so John the Baptist says, I am unworthy to even untie his feet. Basically what he's saying is he's not even worthy to be the lowest form of a human being in those days. (laughs) What a powerful, powerful statement about humility. And that's why he can honor and celebrate others because he recognizes the value in them And he's secure in the value that he has himself. Um, I was blessed yesterday uh, morning. um, Braden's football team, the 12U uh, Mill Creek Warhawks, uh, by their coach, were asked to go and serve at a local food pantry. It's at a church nearby. And so, um, we stopped by and, and we served in this food pantry. We didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, about 18 of the 24, um, kids on the team showed up for that. A lot of parents, uh, a lot of the coaches, there's Braden who looks super, super happy to be f- uh, filmed and on picture there. Um, and then there's the, the whole team, uh, right there, Georgia, um, Braden's repping the G, uh, you know, go dogs And, um. And so the team got together, and their task for the morning um, primarily was, uh, as people came through, to take two boxes of food out to their car. And um, just in a moment of confession, I think there were a lot of the adults that were there that were kind of like, um, that w- we were helping out, and where we were, we were kind of like, I- I'm not sure that these pre- people are worthy for us to carry their food out to their car. Like that, That's just a confession. But what I loved was the heart of the football team, because they walked the food out to the cars of these people who are at a place and situation and circumstances of their life. It's probably only just like one thing happening away from what our lives are like to where they're in a situation where they needed assistance. And in a moment of humility, by just asking a question, you could find out their story and how something happened circumstantially in their story to where they needed assistance and help. And these, these, these kids, these 12 year olds, they served with humility, they served in humility, like in a, in a way that I think, you know, John the Baptist was kind of getting at with Jesus. And they did that because what they recognize is that these people are of ultimate worth and they have dignity and so I'm called to serve them. And then Jesus, I love this, Jesus demonstrated this right before his death with his own disciples. In John chapter 13, he's having a meal with them and he gets up from the meal and he gets a uh, part of his outer garment off and, and he goes and, and um, wraps a towel around himself and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. And, and I, I just imagine that for three years, these disciples they'd been sitting there and they'd been watching Jesus and Jesus had sent them out on a couple of like short-term mission trips, but that it was this moment for them where Jesus did something that the lowest form identified and classified by others during those days would do by washing their feet, that that was the moment that gifts in them perhaps were activated. We celebrate the gifts in others with an act of humility to say, I'm secure in who I am, but I also recognize who you are. And I recognize how God has designed and desired you to carry out God's mission. And then a hero maker does a second thing. A hero maker commissions, commissions others. Hero makers activate the gifts and heroes by commissioning heroes. Um, You you see that throughout Jesus' ministry, there was a commissioning of other people. Um, in fact, he was commissioned himself we we don 't recognize his baptism as much uh, as a commission as they would have recognized his baptism as a commission 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus was baptized, we recognize baptism as kind of like an initiation or entrance into a movement. Um, and that movement was Judaism. And so as people were repenting, um, they were coming into this, this religion called Judaism. Well, Jesus, he's God in the flesh. Why, why would he need this? Well, well um, perhaps it's because his baptism was actually more of a commissioning than it was an initiation. Uh, commissioning. Um, And let me kind of unpack that for you. So 2,000 years ago, um, rabbis would have the authority to teach the law. And they had the authority to interpret the law. And so Jesus's interpretation of the law was about love, that that all of this was to point to our deficiency and insufficiency to be made right with God outside of God's love that was available for us. That was his interpretation. So as he's interpreting the law that was thousands of years old in this religion, people started to question his interpretation because it was different than what they or how they interpreted scripture. And so some people ask this question, Jesus Where did you get your authority? Where did you get your authority? In other words, like we question your interpretation. We want to know if you've got valid authority on your life. And in asking the question, Jesus, he's brilliant. He says, Where did John the Baptist get his authority? And he kind of trapped them in their question, but he could have easily said, At my baptism. You see, for a rabbi to have the authority to interpret law and to communicate that interpretation to other people, they had to have the blessing of two people, two rabbis, two religious leaders to commission them. And so in Jesus's baptism, you have John the Baptist who lays his hands on Jesus. And then as Jesus comes out of the water, if you're familiar with this story, the voice of the father Out of heaven, thunders down. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then you have the hand of the Father come in the form of the Holy Spirit in present, like physical tense, like that of a dove, come upon Jesus. That's where his authority came from. And then Jesus does that for his followers. Where if you go at the end of all of the gospel stories... Jesus gets all the people who have gathered around him for three years and have learned from them. And they're ready to go out and they're ready to go make more disciples. And he says to them, go. It's his authority granting them. But then he says, but you're not gonna go alone. I give you my spirit. And so once again, it's the Holy Spirit with Jesus giving the authority to then go. And then you see Jesus' follower, earliest followers, specifically this guy named Paul, write to a guy named Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, what we find is that, that, that Timothy talks about this authority to go. Do not neglect the gift you have. In other words, now you've got to go and you've got to use it, which was given you by prophecy. It was, it was God speaking that into you through someone else's giftedness when the council of elders laid their hands on you. There was always this commissioning, and in the commissioning, you're activated. You're ready to live into that plan, that purpose that God has for your life. I can remember kind of officially when this happened for me. um, I was called into ministry in 1995, um, but I was commissioned as like a, what they called a probationary elder. Essentially, they put me on probation for three years. Some of you are like, yep, yep, and it should have lasted a lot longer than that, Um, and uh, so probationary elder for three years. And then in 2005, um, we had our ordination where I was like, hey, I was off probation. I was like legit at that point. They considered me to be legit. Um, It was a crazy service. Uh, It was in the Classic Center in Athens because that's the closest place you can get to to heaven on earth. And um, and we were in the Classic Center. There were about 2,000 people that were there, including some of my friends and family members. And a lot of those friends and family members were kind of new to the faith and they weren't like familiar with the church game. They didn't know how to behave in a group of other people, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And so um, my, my last name is Walters, and so I'm always at the end of any list, right? And so they place us in order, and they're going through, and they're calling out the names of these ordinands, and you would think that context clues would have been really helpful for my family and friends, but when they got to David Walters, there was a bunch of like, free Bert! It was like, woo! You know, and like there's like clapping and shouting, and, and then the bishop, who was like the pastor to pastor to pastor, he's like overseeing everything, he stood up and he was like, I would like to remind you that this is a very reverent ceremony, and we'll have time to recognize all of those who are being ordained at the end of the service. That's affectionately called the David Walters rule every year since 2005. um, The bishop says that at the beginning of the service now, and that is the David Walters rule. So I was ordained, but here's how the ordained thing worked. Um, I had a robe. Have you ever seen a pastor in a robe? Wouldn't it freak you out if I showed up with one of those robes on on a Sunday morning? That'd be awesome. We're given a, uh, a stole, and a stole was a, kind of a symbolic of a yoke. Um, and, and a yoke is something that you would place on the shoulders of another person. It's also a symbol of interpretation. And so when Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, what he's saying is, my interpretation of what this whole faith thing is about, it's easy, it's light because it's love. Um, so they place, a, they place a, a stole on us as a symbol of, of this yoke of love, um, this burden, this task that we've been given, but it was also easy and light that we're just carry out. And then they have us place our hands on the Bible. And then they, all these leaders, they they put their hands on top of your head. And I mean, it's like, like so many hands that are on you. And then the bishop says this, take thou authority. Multiple hands being laid on you. Take thou authority. And I can remember like thinking, well, I've had authority since I was called. But there was something powerful in that moment where something was activated in me that was like different than it had been before. When somebody commissioned me by the laying on of hands and said, you've got authority now. This is the same authority that all Christ followers have to go. And you might not be a vocational pastor Not a vacational pastor, a vocational pastor. But if you're a student, you have authority. If you're a parent, you have authority. You don't have to wait for the children's minister, you've got authority. You don't have to wait for the student pastor, you've got authority. If you work, if you're a boss, you've got authority. Wherever you live, you've got authority. And I don't know what that gift is in you, but I know by the grace of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got it. And you've got it to be used for God's glory. And when we understand that collectively, oh my gosh, some crazy things can happen. I remember when we got commissioned to start the Vine Church, another church said, hey, we want you to come, we want you to stand up front. And we stood up front, our launch team of about 45 people and they extended their hands as a way of kind of like placing their hands on us as a symbol like all across this room and they prayed for us, it was commissioning for us. When we started our campus three years ago in Flowery Branch, we had all those people on the launch team stand up, we extended our hands as a symbol of like laying hands on them and we said, hey, you've got authority, now go. When we have mission trips that go to Nicaragua or Mozambique, like the mission trips that are gonna be taking place next year, we'll have them stand up and we'll say, you've got authority, now go. Because something's activated in us when gifts are celebrated and when gifts are commissioned. And in just a moment, we're going to have a commissioning service. And if we'll live into that commission with the gifts that God has given us, God will do some amazing things. And and I just want to go back to last week and what happened. We had had three people um, trust Jesus Christ as leader of their life for the very first time. But it happened in in, in, um, not an accidental way. It was very intentional. In fact, two of the people that gave their lives to Jesus Christ were invited by one person. They were invited by one person. And those folks that came... Um, a couple of weeks, ended up giving their life to Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus, I can't forgive myself, only you can forgive me. I want you to be the leader of my life. And then two Fridays ago, our student ministry hosted a fifth quarter event. A fifth quarter event means that after a high school football game, uh, we're going to host fifth quarter. It doesn't mean that we're going to invite the teams to come up the hill and battle in our church parking lot. It means that we're going to invite the students to come up for like a free event. It's a party where we can just build relationships with them, offer them something free as a testimony to God's free love that's available to them. Five of those students came back to our flowery branch campus last Sunday. And one of those five gave their life to Jesus Christ. There's three Three people who had their eternal destiny changed forever for the better because some people took on the authority that we've been given to go wherever they go, in their pharmacy, in their workplace, in their schools, to say, hey, I want to point my life to the glory of God. And three people's lives were changed forever for the better. This is the authority that we've been given. And this is the commission that we've been given as a church to be individuals who understand our design and God's desire for our life, to go and bring him glory, by advancing his reign and his rule in the world as we invite people into a personal relationship with him and to do that collectively as a church.